Welcome to Korean True Crime. I'm your host, Mimi Mizuko. In today's episode, we will be discussing the Bizarre Rabbit Case, a series of lust murders that occurred between 2005 and 2006 in the Xinjiang area of Seoul. In the early morning of Monday, June 6th, 2005, a woman we can call Jan woke up feeling under the weather. She decided that day she would go to the doctor's office to get some medicine to treat her cough, but in the meantime, she would have breakfast with her family. Jan was in her 20s and worked in an office. That day, thankfully, was a holiday. She didn't have to go to work that day, so she went about her normal daily routine, and finally, around 2 p.m. after having lunch, she left the house. She told her family she'd be back later and began her walk towards Xinjiang Station. Somewhere between her house and the subway station, Jayan was abducted. The next morning, a sanitation worker was collecting garbage from the designated areas of the Xinjiang neighborhood when they noticed a rather large, oddly filled rice bag amongst the trash pile. In Korea, trash that's large and doesn't fit into normal trash bags have to be marked with stickers sold by the city, and this was just casually tossed amongst the trash pile. He inspected the bag, trying to see if there were any identifiers to see who placed it there so that they could charge the tax that was due to the owner, but then he noticed a hole in the bag. He could see something that looked like skin. And when he got closer, it was obvious that what he was seeing was a human stomach with a hand peeking out of the bag. The sanitation worker called the police and they were able to positively identify that the body that was found was Jayan. After inspecting her body, they were able to determine that she had been strangled to death and that she had been beaten and bitten. Jan had bite marks all over her abdomen, and that's not the worst of it. Something had been forcibly inserted inside of her. Two menstrual pads and a rolled up piece of toilet paper had been forcibly inserted inside her vagina. The detectives believed she had been sexually assaulted, but there was no semen present. That didn't rule out the possibility, but they worried that they had a lust killer on their hands that had an inability to perform, and because of such, he killed her in his rage. After completing her autopsy, it was discovered that her lunch wasn't fully digested yet. They gave them a window of time that she was murdered, sometime between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. the day that she was kidnapped. The last piece of evidence that they had to work with was the rice bag that Jan was found wrapped in. This wasn't an ordinary rice bag that you could buy at the store. It was something that a factory would manufacture for restaurants. It was like an industrial-sized bag of rice, and it was large enough for an adult woman to fit in laying down. The rice bag was tied loosely with string and was hidden in plain sight at a garbage area that didn't have CCTV on a street that also didn't have CCTV, meaning the killer most likely knew the area and was able to avoid the CCTV in the area. The police initially suspected her brother to be the killer because of the suspicious way he acted at her funeral, but after interrogating him, they were able to dismiss him as a suspect. Five months passed without justice for Jan until November 20th, 2005, another public holiday a woman we can call Ari left her house to do some errands. She headed towards the Xinjiang station, but would never be seen alive again. Ari was a woman in her 40s who lived with her husband. She often visited her parents to have dinner with them, so when she didn't return home that evening, 
Her husband didn't panic. Ari's husband waited until the next day. He called her parents and when they said they'd never seen her, that's when he began to panic. He started calling all of her friends when suddenly he got a phone call. It was the police. They'd found Ari's body, wrapped in mats with a black plastic bag over her head tied with electrical cables, thrown in a trash pile, the same as Jan. The knots were tied more securely this time, and there were no holes in the bag. She had suffered injuries similar to Jan, with bite marks over her chest and abdomen. Ari had suffered contusions to her abdomen and a broken rib. She hadn't had anything inserted inside of her, but the police were confident that it was the same perpetrator. This time, they were hoping they could catch the perpetrator on CCTV somewhere in the neighborhood, but he didn't appear on any of the CCTV that led up to this area. In this specific garbage area, outside of a large apartment complex, was the only one on the block that didn't have CCTV covering the entrance. There was a glimmer of hope, though. Ari had appeared on the Xinjiang Station subway CCTV. She had gotten on the escalator to go to the train car, but was never seen getting on the train. Somewhere between her getting off of the escalator and walking to the train car, Ari was abducted. And the abductor knew exactly the exit to take to avoid the cameras, possibly a stairwell or an emergency exit. The police didn't have much to go on, but they discovered something about the location that Ari was murdered. On the back of her clothing were damp spots that contained traces of mold. Mold that only grows in indoor damp places. It's a very common household mold that's found in Korean basements. The police were confident that Ari was taken to a nearby house and killed in the basement. Because the two bodies were found only two kilometers away from each other, and both were taken from the Xinjiang Station area, the police believed that the killer lived in the area or just outside of the area and knew the Xinjiang area intimately. Six months passed with no justice for Jan or Ari until a third woman was attacked near Xinjiang Station, but this time the woman escaped. The third incident took place on the next public holiday, May 31st, 2006. It was a temporary holiday established for people to vote in that year's election. Our third woman we can call Jiu. Jiu was planning a date with her boyfriend and they had planned to meet at an intersection that they both knew. The meeting point was a little while away for Jiu, so she decided to take a taxi. She got in the taxi, told him the general direction she wanted to go, and then loaded up a game on her phone. She knew it would be a while, so she wanted to pass the time. She actually became so distracted that she missed when the driver passed her intersection, but she was able to tell him to pull over at the next subway stop, Xinjiang Station. She paid her fare and then started to walk back towards the intersection. That's when a strange man approached her. He calmly told her to follow him, but she didn't pay him any mind, rolled her eyes, and kept walking. That's when he got closer, and she noticed that he was holding a knife. She panicked and began began to follow him. She let out a scream at a passerby, but he told the passerby, don't mind her, don't mind her, my girlfriend is drunk in the day, I just need to take her home, and the person kept walking. He told her, if you scream again, I'll kill you. So she followed him quietly until he blindfolded her in an alley, and they began to walk for a long time until finally she came to an unlocked door that he opened and pushed her inside an apartment. After he pushed her inside, he grabbed the back of her head and began punching her in the 
throat. She felt like she was going to pass out and she couldn't breathe. She could hear a loud TV playing in the distance, but didn't know which room it was coming from. The man began to tie her up loosely and then announced he was going to go to the bathroom. She knew this was her opportunity to escape. She peeled up the blindfold and saw that the front door was unlocked. She opened the front door and began to run, but she also knew that he could probably outrun her and she was afraid he had a weapon. So instead of running out of the main gate, she ran up the side steps of the main home and hid behind a large shoe rack. She couldn't see around the corner of the stairs, but she could hear as the man emerged from the apartment and began cursing loudly before re-entering the apartment. She examined the shoe rack, light brown paint, a flower pot that looked like it was made by a child, and a Mashimaro sticker. Mashimaro was a beloved, cute, fat, bunny character from the early 2000s. Children often got stickers of this character from sweetbread they got at a convenience store. Over time, the rabbit was given the nickname, the Bizarre Rabbit, hence the name of today's case. As she waited, hiding behind the shoe rack, she heard the man calling out to someone else. Are you here? He said. She heard a second voice, much deeper, respond, yes. I'm here. She couldn't make out what the men were saying as they re-entered the apartment, but when they emerged, she could hear the second man with the deep voice say, take care of it yourself. She heard her kidnapper scream out, if I get caught, I'll kill you. She was unsure whether this man was threatening her or the man who had re-entered the apartment. Either way, she was terrified. Jiyu didn't dare yet make a run for it. She waited hours until it was pitch black outside and then she finally snuck her way down the staircase quietly, pushed open the main gate, and then began running for her life. She ran and zigzagged between the streets, hoping to leave no trace of where she went, until finally she reached an elementary school where she ran around to the backside and called her boyfriend. Jiu's story took a long time for her to recollect because of the severe PTSD she suffered from this incident. In her panic state, some of the details became fuzzy. She couldn't remember what direction she approached the elementary school from or how long she'd ran or even how long she'd walked from the subway station to the apartment. But she intensely remembered the shoe rack, the flower pot, and the Mashimaro sticker. The only detail she was able to recollect about the kidnapper was his thick eyebrows. She said his eyebrows were darkened, as if he had drawn or tattooed them on. She said her best guess was that he was in his mid-30s, average build, and average height. Unfortunately, with the minimal details Jiu could recollect, no suspect or location were immediately found. That's certainly not the end of the Bizarre Rabbit case, but that's where we're going to end today's episode. Join me next time for part two of Bizarre Rabbit. Don't forget to like and subscribe and leave your comments down below. Dame topayo. See you next time, true crime enthusiasts.